Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 124 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wael. And it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening and participating and sending in all your questions and suggestions. Uh, now, speaking of which, if you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com, and I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Uh, now, this podcast is for anyone, literally anyone, whether you are remotely curious about the religion of Islam. Or if you're thinking about becoming a Muslim Or if you just became a Muslim You know, if you're a, a revert or if you're a convert Or if you've been a Muslim all of your life And, you know, just want to learn more about Islam This podcast is for you, inshallah And now, with that being said Let's get right into today's topic And today's topic is somehow a continuation Of the, the, the previous episode And it's also a prelude to the major signs Today's topic is, 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 again, like I said, there are a few critical uh, topics that we have to tackle uh, in the beginning of this season. And uh, today's question, which is, why does Islam make sense, is a critical one. You know, you have a lot of people who, uh, non-Muslims, who hear about Islam. They know it's, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's a religion that's growing in a very noticeable way, but they don't know why. Why is it growing? Why does it make sense to those who convert and become Muslims, right? Uh, uh, and again, if you're interested even a little bit, inshallah, today I will explain to you why Islam makes sense. Also, those who are already, like, you know, they've been Muslims, sometimes you have that question is, why Islam is the truth? Sometimes you're like, okay, how? Like, okay, I get that Islam makes sense, but like, how? I want to know. And today, again, I'm answering the questions of literally non-Muslims and Muslims. So yeah, let's let's get right into you know what? Why does Islam make sense? Why it makes sense, right? First of all, Islam. Let's just be clear about one thing before. Um, you know, we answer the question, which is Islam is different from Muslims. Again, Islam is different from Muslims. How? Not all Muslims practice the proper Islam. Again, not all Muslims practice proper Islam. You'll find Muslims who are truly committed, who are doing their best, who are striving. But you're also going to find Muslims who are uh, maybe in the middle you know, sometimes they're practicing, sometimes they're not. Uh, they do certain Islamic things, but some things are kind of un-Islamic. And, you know, th there's a lot of people who are like that, like on the fence, basically. Uh, and you will find those who are not practicing Islam at all, but they still identify as Muslim. So I want you guys to understand this, this concept that you cannot uh, define Islam from the Muslims that you see, especially from those who are far away from the religion or who are not practicing Islam. Islam is a perfect religion, the perfect religion, the only true religion that exists in our time. And the only true religion that will exist until the end of time. No other religion that will come. And if people come up with a religion, you know for a fact that that's going to be 
a, a fabrication because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us that Islam is the true and the only final religion. There are no be like you won't find any other religion that says, well, this is the final one. No, no, no. Islam is the only true religion and it's the final one until the day of judgment, right? Now, don't look, like I said, at the actions of, of Muslims who are not practicing Islam and be like, oh, so Islam is supposed to be like this? No, it's not. Islam is its own thing. Whether we follow it correctly or not, that's on us Muslims, okay? So I just wanted to, you know, uh, kind of make this point clear. Now, us as Muslims, and, and I'm going to talk about what we should do. Not, I'm not like going to have a commentary on Muslims. We already did that, the types of Muslims and the status of Muslims and so forth. I'm saying what we should do as Muslims, the proper way is that Islam provides us with guidance, parameters. Because you're going to find a lot of people in the world who would say, well, I want to, uh, I believe that Allah exists, that God exists. I just don't believe in religion. You'll, you'll hear a lot of people nowadays saying that. I believe in, in, in that there is a God, that there is an entity, you know, agnostics and people like that. I believe that, okay. I just don't believe in religion. I believe that, some people say, I believe that religion corrupts the relationship between us and God and the creator. Well, that does not make any logical sense for one simple reason, which is how would you know how to worship your God, your creator, if you don't have any guidelines? Think about it. Again, this is logically speaking. Uh, if you if you don't have uh, what like if you don't have a like guidelines of what to do towards that creator, then how would you do it? Well, I'm 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 gonna come up with my own thing. Yeah, but see, that's a problem because if you don't understand now, none of us in this world, whether you can claim this or not, whether people who are like atheists, Christians, Muslims, Jews, none of us will fully understand God because God was not meant to be an open book to us. Allah gave us and God gave us the information that we need regarding him, about him, that his attributes, you know, his, his, what he, like the things he would do to us and the things he wouldn't do to us. Like one of, one of the things that Allah would never do is what? Commit injustice. Allah said, O my servants, O people, O mankind, I forbade injustice upon myself. So that's one of the things we know. Allah would never commit injustice. You know, and Allah would tell us that his mercy, his forgiveness, ooh, it's just, it, 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 it extends to an unlimited uh, 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 you know, unlimited way that the, the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala extends, expands over everyone and everything. That That is also a fact that we know about Allah. Why? Why do we know these things? Because Allah told us so. So for you to come and be like, I fully understand, I can speculate how to worship Allah. No, because you don't fully understand Allah. What we understand about Allah is what Allah told us himself. Do you guys understand that? You cannot uh, perform an analogy towards Allah because to, to do an analogy towards something, it requires what? A full understanding of that thing that you're trying to, you know, analyze. 
you can't understand Allah. Allah did not allow you to fully understand Him. You can understand certain things that He, again, He permitted us to understand and learn about Him. He told us about. Yes, okay, no problem. But how can you analyze Allah based on a few things that Allah told us about Himself? You can't. So for you to come up with your own method in worshiping Allah is just bogus. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Again, I'm talking to you guys from a logical perspective. This is not coming from a religious This is logically speaking. You cannot worship Allah. You cannot worship God. You cannot act towards something based on your own you know, speculation based on your own analysis when you don't understand what you're doing, when you don't understand who are you dealing with. You guys understand this. Like you don't understand who you're dealing with and that you're saying, well, I know how to, I'll figure it out. No, then that's lazy talk because you don't want to commit to a religion. You don't want to commit to guidelines that tell you what to do because this is is the, the, the reality right here. You tell people you need to pray five times a day I'm talking about specifically non-Muslims. It's it's when, once they hear five and pray, ooh, that's a lot. That's a lot. But here's the thing: that's what's required from us as bare minimum. You want to communicate with Allah, with God, you have to pray five times a day. And that's why it's easier for certain people to say, mm, "I don't believe in religion." I'll just worship God or I communicate. I'll connect with God my own way. And of course, that does not make any sense. So for us, Islam is our guide. It's our guidance. It's, you know, our guidelines towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how to deal with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But why though? Why do we need Islam? Why why Islam is essential? Because it's the only way to paradise. In our time now, before there was the true Christianity, not today's Christianity, the Christianity that was sent by Allah himself, right? Not the Christianity that was edited by human beings. And before it was Judaism. Again, it was the Judaism that was the, the true one that was sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to Prophet Moses alayhi salam. Those two things don't exist anymore. And the religions before, they don't exist what exists right now? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent us Islam, the Quran. Our Prophet was the final messenger. So now Islam is your only way to paradise. So that's the why. Why Islam? Why should we follow Islam? Because it's your only way to paradise. There is no other way, by the way. If you heard about Islam, now we're talking, I understand that there is maybe a minority in this existence, in this world, that they did not hear about Islam. They never heard a single word about Islam. And those people, Allah will treat them based on their behavior as human beings, based on their morals, right? If they have no interaction with any religion. Let's say people were stranded on an island or they were just they lived in an island where there was no internet, which I find it really hard to believe. But anyway, they never heard about Islam. Yes, in that case, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala understand again, Allah is fair. Like we said, Allah would never commit injustice, and that's what Allah Himself told us. Wonderful. Now Islam. Islam is your only way to paradise. Now, why does it make sense? Now we we, we answered the why. Why Islam? Why should I follow Islam? Because wallahi, it is your only way to paradise. There's no other way, by the way. There's no other way. And it's, of course, the only way for you to avoid hellfire. Now, 
why does Islam make sense? Oh, where do I begin? Islam makes sense um, spiritually, mentally, logically, even physically. You know, um, Islam answers very critical questions that a lot of people, a lot of non-Muslims, they struggle with. The, the, a lot of non-Muslims, they have certain questions and it might lead, you know, not answering those questions might lead to depression. They get depressed from not knowing the answer. Now, the first question that Islam answers is our origins. Where did we come from? How did Allah create this existence, this, this life? The heavens, the earth, the humans, animals, plants, you name it, mountains. We know that story. Now, we don't know the very specific details, but we know Allah created the world or this existence in six days. We also know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Adam on a Friday. We know that. And we know that Adam was the last of the creation to be created. So Allah created the heavens, the earth, you know, the galaxy, all these things. And mankind, starting of course with Adam, was the final basically creation that Allah created. We, we have the story. We actually have the story of Adam and Satan. The interaction and how Satan came and he basically uh, tempted Adam and Eve into like eating from the tree. We all know the story and we know the authentic one. We know that Satan was never a fallen angel. Angels do not commit sins. They do not disobey Allah. Satan was and still is because Satan is still alive. He's the only jinn that does not die until the day of judgment. Then Allah will you know, basically kill him and then resurrect him again and send him to hellfire for eternity. So Satan is from the species of the jinn. We talked, we had last season, we talked about, we had multiple episodes talking about everything regarding the jinn. So we know things that a lot of people don't even believe in. The jinn and, you know, other things that Satan is, is not an angel, is not a fallen angel. You know, we believe, we know that it makes more sense. Do you guys understand? It makes more, the origin story that's mentioned in our religion, that's mentioned, you know, via Quran or the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu it makes perfect sense, logically speaking. And guess what? When you know where you... Imagine this. I want to give you an example. Imagine if you uh, found yourself on an island. You just woke up one day. You woke up and you found yourself on an island and you just got up and you were just alone and you didn't know where you were. What is the first question that comes to you? How did I get here? These are logical questions. How did I get here? Now, we're assuming you don't remember. So that's the first question. How did I get on this island? What brought me here? And that is basically the question that Islam answered regarding the origins of mankind, the origins of Adam. And we believe that also. And wallahi, what I'm about to tell you makes perfect sense. So Christians believe in the original sin. That Adam, when he ate from the tree, you know, uh, uh, Allah never forgave him since the, the sacrifice of, you know, Jesus Christ and the, the crucifixion and all these things. We know that story from, you know, the, the, the Christian uh, Bible, basically, the books and, and the beliefs. However, in Islam, the, 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 the version of the story makes far more sense. 
far more sense. Adam made a mistake. Yes, he did not obey Allah's commands by not coming near the tree, yet he did because Satan tempted him. Okay, wonderful. What happened? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent, as a punishment, sent Adam, Eve, and Satan from paradise to earth. You guys go live on earth. You, you, you don't deserve to be in Jannah. But one thing Adam learned from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was how to repent. So Adam learned from Allah, فَتَلَقَّ آدَمُ مِنْ رَبِّهِ كَلِمَاتٍ فَتَابَ Allah taught Adam how to repent. So what did Adam do? He used Allah's words, repentance, to repent to Allah from what he did. To repent to Allah from what he did. And guess what happened? What do we know about Allah? What do we know about Allah? Like just any Muslim can answer this very easily. Allah is the ultimate forgiver. Adam repented to Allah and of course with sincerity. And what did Allah do? Fataba alayhi. This is mentioned by the way in the chapter of Baqarah. Fataba alayhi. Allah forgave Adam. That is the more befitting story that Allah forgives. Allah doesn't keep that original sin with all mankind. A, a, a baby is born a sinner. How, how does that make any sense? And Jesus had to come. And quote-unquote, the son of Allah, which is another big issue that we will tackle probably even more so in the next episode. Because in the next episode, I'm giving you a little bit of a tease from the next episode. We will give the full definition of who is God in Islam. Because it seems like, unfortunately, a lot of people are forgetting that fact. And some Muslims also are forgetting that fact. So, inshallah, in a very, uh, inshallah, interesting way, uh, I will remind people who is Allah, who is God. And that will be next episode, inshallah. But today we're still going to tackle certain things like Allah, God has a son. That does not make any sense. Now, Allah told us explicitly, Allah has no sons, no partners, no spouses, no fathers, no nothing. Allah is one and one. And Allah, look at this. Allah was always there. And this is a concept that a lot of people can't comprehend. So, because we as human beings, what are we accustomed to? Everything has a beginning, right? Everything has a beginning. You have a beginning as a human being. Uh, buying a house, you buy the house, you live in the house, you know, you start a job. You, everything we know has a beginning. Allah doesn't. Why? Because Allah is outside of the realm of logic that we understand. Again, Allah is not in our realm of like physics and logic and understanding. That's why I kept saying, you cannot comprehend Allah. Allah was always there. Allah has no beginning nor an end. Allah will never cease to exist. We will. And inshallah, hopefully, inshallah, we're going to be resurrected to go in paradise. And we won't cease to exist. But for a specific time when we die, we will cease to exist. This universe that we live in right now this the, the world as we know it guess what will cease to exist allah will always be there and we know that fact and it makes us very very content that our lord does not look like human beings that our lord does not have attributes like human beings it makes us very very confident in our god and that is why islam makes sense because we know that Allah, no one can come near Allah. 
No one can claim that Allah had a son or he was in a flesh. He went into someone's flesh or human flesh and he manifested himself as a human being. And according to the to the Jewish faith, Allah has regrets. Allah cries. Allah makes mistakes. Like, what are you talking about? Do you realize if God makes mistakes that we are completely doomed? Completely doomed. You know, like the, in, in, in Christianity also, the Jesus, which they consider God, right, was tempted by Satan. Satan, who was created by God. So if God is tempted by his own creation, what does that tell us about God? That he's not all powerful. He's not all powerful. He could, he could be tempted by what? By his own creation. That does not make any sense to me. I'm sorry. It doesn't make any sense. So when Allah tells us the story of our creation, we believe it. It makes perfect sense to us. Why? Because it is the ultimate truth. You know, Adam was the first one that Allah created. Okay. It makes sense that Allah fashioned Adam with his own hands. It makes sense that Allah was honoring Adam because Adam has the choice now. Unlike the angels. We said angels don't have a choice when it comes to, they don't, they don't sin. It's not in their DNA. They were not created that way. They were not programmed that way. And no, angels are not robots. They're very passionate about Allah and worshiping Allah, but they do not sin. Allah did not create them with that feature. Only two species, humans and jinn. And th guess what? The first two that messed up, Adam, I mean three, let's say, Adam, Eve, and Satan, the three beings or species or the two species that sin humans and jinn makes sense everything adds up by the way if you collect facts about you know about who sins and who doesn't and and allah is forgiving and allah is the merciful and allah also punishes if you don't you know if you completely uh, uh, disobey allah's commands and you then you combine it with the origin story of like our creation it makes perfect sense and it makes sense that Allah would forgive Adam, not hold him to that original sin and it follows all of his progeny like, you know, it is taught in other religions. Okay, so now let's go back to the example of the, uh, of the island, you know, being lost on an island. You answered the first question, which is how did I get here? Now, what is the second question that you would ask yourself? What am I doing here? What am I doing here? What am I doing on this island? Which is the ultimate question of what is the purpose of life? What am I doing here on earth? And that question, by the way, a lot of people, a lot of non-Muslims, when they cannot understand the answer or, or they can't even have an answer when they don't have an answer, that leads them into depression. They, don't, they, they feel like their life is meaningless. And that's why you, you see a lot of human beings having these causes because they need a purpose. They feel like they don't have a purpose because, again, whatever they're following, whatever their belief does not give them a very satisfying answer regarding what is their purpose here in this life. So you're going to find a lot of activists, a lot of like causes that they join, a lot of causes, all these things. Now, what does Islam tell us about the purpose of life? We have a very explicit verse in the Quran. وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ I created jinn and mankind to worship me. Now, why didn't Allah mention angels? Because I have people asking that question. Because angels, by default, they worship Allah. Allah does not need to remind them to worship Allah. 
they worship Allah day and night all the time. That's why, by the way, Allah does not need us, just to let you know. Allah does not need us to be Allah, to be God. He does not need us. We need Him. We need His blessings. We need His forgiveness to enter paradise and avoid hellfire. So think about this. Allah does not need you to worship Him. You actually need to worship Allah more than anything in the world. That's what you what you hope to do to enter paradise, if you want to enter paradise. So Allah said explicitly, I created basically mankind and jinn. Let's talk about mankind for now. Allah created humans to worship Him. That is our purpose, by the way. That is the only purpose we have. Now, if you want to expand on that purpose, so that is the only purpose. Literally, Allah said nothing else. That is the purpose. Now, does that mean you, you can't enjoy life in a halal way? We answered that question many times. No, it doesn't mean that. It means that you can have a family, you can have a decent job, you can have a nice income, you can go on trips with your family. You can, I mean, if you don't have a family yet, you can go on trips just on your own as long as you're doing halal stuff. As long as you're not doing haram stuff, you are allowed to do that. But here's the, here's the catch. Here's the big catch. None of that halal stuff should distract you from the main purpose. Your purpose is to worship Allah. Your purpose is not to get a job. Your purpose is not to have a family. That's not a purpose. That's how you enjoy life. Let's just think about it this way. That's how you enjoy life. That, these are things that would help you continue on in this life and fulfill your purpose. If these things will distract you from the purpose of worshiping Allah, then you're doing something wrong. So do you, do you guys understand? Islam is telling you your purpose is to worship Allah so you can get to paradise. You can also live your life. Do not forget your life. However, if 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 your life, if if your lifestyle or if you're enjoying life, even in a halal way, is distracting you from your main purpose, which is worshiping Allah, then you have to change something. Then you're doing something wrong. I'll give you an example. You go on a trip with your family. Then salah time comes, prayer time comes. And you're enjoying yourself too much that you just postpone in your head. You're like, I'm going to pray later. I'm going to pray later. And then you miss the prayers. Some, then that's not what's meant here. Then you are failing your purpose. You understand? You're failing. You're just living life. It's like, Imagine it like this. I know I keep giving live examples, but I think this this is a really interesting idea that I thought of. Let's say that you, uh, someone in your, like a, your grandfather left you a million dollars. You know, let's, let's say that. And then he wrote in the will, in order for you to receive it, you have to be in, in to get to a specific destination, whatever you want to call it, the house of your grandfather, which is, let's say, a, a while, like a, a what, like a half a day drive or whatever, a whole day drive. But you have to get to the my house by the end of the day, or the end of the day where I when I die. So again, I know I'm just coming up with certain scenarios, but because I had this idea in my head for a while, let's say that again, your grandfather passed away. And he left you a million dollars. Okay? And then he said in the will that you were contacted immediately by the lawyer. And the lawyer told you, well, your grandfather said the only way for you to take that million dollars is for you to get here to his house by the end of the day today. And let's say that was in the morning. So you have a whole day to drive to to your grandfather's house. Okay. 
Now, the drive itself takes a few hours. So it's not going to take the whole day. But, you know, you were giving uh, a sp- some space, some freedom. You know, you were given the whole day to reach your grandfather's uh, house. So what do you do? You get in your car. And then you start driving towards your grandfather's house to your destination. That's your purpose right now. You want to get that million dollars. But then along the way, while you're driving, you know, you saw a restaurant. So you're like, oh, I need to grab a bite. And you go inside the restaurant and you start eating. Okay, no problem. You still have time. You're getting a little bit distracted, but you know what? It's okay. You can eat a little bit. You need to eat. It's necessary. And that's what I mean by you need to you know, build a family, have a family. You need a job. These are necessities you have to do these things. You have to you know, have a job. You have to have a family. That's how you survive in life. And it's the same thing. If you're driving to your grandfather's house, you need to eat. You're hungry. You need to eat. Okay. Then you finish eating. You're done with your meal. And now you're supposed to go back, you know, on a road and drive to uh, to your grandfather's. But instead of doing that, you were like, oh, let me have some dessert. Okay. And can I get a, a cup of coffee too, you know? And then you, instead of drinking your coffee, you know, uh, during the ride or, you know, while you're driving, you just want to enjoy yourself. You want to have some, you know, some nice time while you're eating your dessert and drinking coffee. Very interesting. Okay, you still have time. Then you go back on the road and you start driving and driving. And then while you're driving, you say to yourself, I need to fill up some gas. Okay. Again, these are necessary stuff. You have to, you need gas to get to your destination. No problem. But then while you're at the gas station, you're like, oh, you know what? Let me go and see if they have some, you know, snacks or let me go see if they have some like, you know, souvenirs or whatever in the store. Let me just go take a look. Hmm. Okay. All right, and then you go back to your car. You wasted enough time, and you start driving. And then while you're driving, now comes the unnecessary distractions. You see a view. Trust me, I I know about this because I do it myself. But alhamdulillah that I do it in actually this case when I'm driving around and I see like a natural view or like any type of scenery. I usually stop. It's it's a passionate thing that I just love to take pictures and whatever of of the of the scenes or the mountains or whatever that we're looking at. But anyway, so I understand that okay, you would stop, but not when you you're supposed to receive a million dollars. I promise you I would not do that if there's a million dollars waiting for me at my destination. So anyway, you stop, you take some pictures, and then you keep driving and then you're like, "Ah, oh, I'm a little tired." You know, let me park, you know, uh, in the shoulder, on the shoulder, you know, and then just take a nap for an hour or two. Then you drive, you drive, you drive, and then you go again into like a diner or a restaurant, and then you meet someone, and you start talking and having a conversation about life. See what, what's happening here? You are being distracted by unnecessary stops, and even the necessary one, they take way longer, and they distract you from the purpose, the target that you're going to, your destination. And then you end up reaching there when it's too late. And you don't get the prize. You don't get the money. Same thing, Wallahi. Allah is telling us our purpose is to worship Him. Our purpose is not to have a family. Our purpose is not to have a nice house, a car. These are necessary stuff, but that's not the purpose. And if you let these things, and I'm saying the halal stuff, 
distract you from the purpose, then you lost your purpose. And what's beautiful about Islam is that it tells you, yeah, you can have all these things, but do not get distracted. Again, makes perfect sense. So Islam answers the first two questions. Again, how did we come here? And what are we doing here? What is our purpose here in this life? And also, let's say a third question, how to survive. Now, again, if you're on the island, you want to survive now. How to survive? Until you get out, okay? Like until you leave the island, you want to understand how to survive the island. And Islam tells you, by the way, everything you need to know. Islam tells you how to deal with depression. Islam tells you how to deal with hardship and calamities islam even tells you how to deal with good news and blessings that allah you have to thank allah you have to thank allah and allah will increase you mentioned in the quran multiple times if you thank allah allah will increase you from his blessings and if a calamity befalls you be patient allah tells you it's a calamity don't worry it's a test from allah and you have to be patient you know, in, in, instead of like uh, getting angry at Allah and why Allah, why did you do this and why did you do that? Why am I in this situation? No, no, no. That is a sin as a matter of fact. You have to be patient and you have to calm down, make dua to Allah and think your way. Islam tells you how to deal with these types of situations. And that helps. That helps. Wallahi, it helps. Mentally, it makes you feel better. It lessens your anxiety because you know this is a test. Allah is going to help me. I'm going to make dua. I'm going to pray more. Get closer to Allah. Allah tells you all these solutions. Now, in the chapter of Hashr, verse number 19, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said something very profound. Allah said, وَلَا تَكُونُوا كَالَّذِينَ نَسَوُوا اللَّهَ فَأَنْسَاهُمْ أَنفُسَهُمْ أُولَئِكَ هُمُ الْفَاسِقُونَ Allah basically saying, you you wonder why you're feeling depressed. Now, to certain cases, not everybody, of course. When you forget about Allah, Allah will make you forget about yourself. You're going to lose that sense of purpose. You're going to feel empty from the inside. That's that's what Allah is telling you. You forget about Allah, you stop mentioning Allah, you stop putting Allah, you know, being aware and conscious of Allah. All right? Allah will make you forget about yourself. Also in the chapter of Hadid, verse number 16, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is addressing the believers who, you know, again, don't feel fully conscious of Allah, who feel empty from the inside, who feel, again, like I said, they, that they lost the sense of purpose, who feel a little depressed, who feel down. Allah said, أَلَمْ يَأْنِ لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَن تَخْشَعَ قُلُوبُهُمْ لِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ For those who feel like they're not connected with the religion, Allah gives you, He's, he's basically defining you right now. He's giving you your definition. Because some people tell me, and I had a lot of people asking me this. What do I do when I pray and I feel nothing? I don't feel any type of khushua. I don't feel like I'm connecting with Allah. Like when I hear Quran, it's like nothing. Even though I understand the words, I still feel nothing. What should I do? When you hear the name of Allah, you don't feel anything. You don't feel anything. When you hear Quran, you don't feel anything. Why? Because you're disconnected from Allah. Because you don't have the knowledge. You don't have that purpose or idea of what you're supposed to do on earth. 
Because you're supposed to be here to worship Allah. And when you worship Allah, Allah opens doors for you until you, basically Allah carries you safely to the hereafter, to, the, to paradise. And along the way, Allah opens doors for you. But you have to be close to Allah. You have to understand the importance of your existence. You're not here to live your life and pray five times a day. You're not here to live your life and fast on Ramadan. You're not here to, to, to live your life and read Quran whenever you're free. No. You're here to do all of the, the, the things that Allah wants you to do and live your life. Living your life comes second. So Allah, look, Allah is addressing those people and saying you're disconnected from Allah and that's why you don't feel anything. Look at here, like in the, in the next verse, verse number 17, Allah basically is giving you the cure. In the same chapter. Allah is giving you hope. Allah is telling you Rest assured, A'lamu. Know that earth, because we know that in a certain time of the year, earth dies. In certain places, earth dies. And Allah resurrects it. Allah sends, you know, provision. Allah sends uh, rain. And Allah resurrects earth. After earth dies, Allah resurrects it again. That happens every year, by the way. Every year, you know, during the winter in some lands in certain places, earth just dies. Plants dies. Come on. For those of you who live in like, you know, in, in north uh, of America, Canada, all these places, when it's frozen, you know, when, when, when the winter is severe, all the plants, and we know that, you know, the fall, this is where all the plants or the leaves just fall and it creates a mess in the streets and whatever. It's because, you know what, the plants, certain plants are dying. And Allah resurrects it again during spring. So Allah's giving you that example. Allah tells you that I resurrect earth after it dies. Why is Allah telling us this? This fact regarding to us being disconnected? Because Allah's saying, connect with me and I will resurrect your heart after it was dead, basically, from the remembrance of Allah. Your heart was dead. You had no emotions. You had no feelings. I am willing, Allah is saying, I'm willing to resurrect your heart the same way I resurrect earth after it dies. Just do your best. Allah is giving us the cure. So you understand, I want you guys to understand this, this part that Allah is also telling us, Islam, Allah through Islam, is telling us how to navigate life until you know, the day we die. How to navigate life. Which makes Islam very special and it makes perfect sense. Allah, but look, I, I just want to make this clear. Allah created us and gave us a manual. Gave us the manual to basically take it with us, take this manual, live by it, navigate life using this manual until we get safely to paradise. The manual is the Qur'an and the Sunnah, by the way. The combination of the, the two. So, which you can basically call Islam, the religion of Islam. So that manual is Islam, which is a combination of Qur'an and Sunnah. If you use that manual that Allah gave you, why would you trust Allah's manual? Because Allah is the one who created everything. 
So Allah knows you and Allah knows the hurdles that you're going to have to overcome. Allah knows the hardship that you're going to have to face. Allah knows everything. Allah knows how to, for you how to deal with everything. So why wouldn't you trust Allah? And Allah is giving you this on a silver platter. Here you go, Quran, live by you. No, you don't have to memorize every verse. Nobody's saying that. However, understand what you can, you know, like learn as much as you can from it. Understand as much as you can from it. Keep gaining that knowledge. I always say this on this podcast. Guys, keep gaining knowledge. Keep gaining knowledge. Again, when it's knowledge according to Allah's commands and the Prophet ﷺ, it will help you navigate life safely to the hereafter. You'll know what you have to do. You'll know what you should not do. You'll know, you know what is permissible, what is impermissible. That's, that's basically Allah is giving us a gift. Here you go. I sent you on earth for the second test because Adam failed the first. I forgave Adam. But again, you are now being tested. Satan is with you. Satan and his followers, they're going to try to tempt you with this life. So now you have the knowledge. I gave you the knowledge. Islam, here you go. Use Islam against Satan. I, Allah told us how to beat Satan and his followers. In every step of the way, Allah told us how to beat them. It's just, I don't get it. Like it's, it's all, when people complain about Allah, Allah gave you the answer. You refuse to look at the book of Allah. That's on you, not on Allah. That's why Allah will hold us accountable because Allah gave us every single answer we need through this beautiful and perfect religion. I have shortcomings. I know that for a fact. You have shortcomings. However, we try our best. We should be trying our best. To use Islam, that guide, you know, that will basically lead us safely to paradise. Because that is our purpose. Worshipping Allah. And why do we worship Allah? Why? What is the end to that purpose? The, the grand prize of Jannah, of paradise. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us this in the Quran. By the way, I want to just pause here for a second. I know this is... And because I remember... Um, uh, uh, I have one of the listeners by the name of Curtis. He, I remember he sent me an email uh, and uh, he said, I just remember now because uh, I was you know, mentioning the name of Allah a lot and he basically was asking me why uh, uh, do you, uh, what, what is it that you say after you say Allah when I say subhanahu wa ta'ala? Uh, and uh, he also say, why, wh- what do you say after saying the name of the Prophet Wasallam? What is that? So now when I say subhanahu wa ta'ala, subhanahu wa ta'ala translates to uh, uh, Allah who is glorified and exalted This is basically the English translation Glorified and exalted And uh, basically when I say Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam After the name of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And again if you notice I, I can't even say the name of the Prophet, the Prophet Without saying Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam I can't say the name of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala Again without saying Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala Because I just got so used to it Right, uh, so means peace and blessings be upon him. That's basically it. And also, answering one last question, uh, that he was saying, What does God bless translates uh, into Arabic? It means tabarakallah. Now, there's a big difference because if somebody sneezes in English, we say God bless, in Arabic, we say yarhamukumullah. And these two words are, or phrases are not the same in, in meaning. So, the Arabic. Uh, response is which basically translates to may Allah have mercy on you 
God bless you is not how you respond to someone sneezing. I know God blesses the way people, uh, you know, respond uh, with when someone sneezes. But in Arabic, uh, an Islamic way is, Yarhamukumullah. May Allah have uh, mercy on you. So just I wanted to answer Curtis's question. I know it was just in the middle, but I just remembered right now uh, that he asked me, uh, you know, these couple of, you know, minor things. So yeah, I hope that answered your question, Curtis. And again, thank you uh, for asking that question. Now, like I said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us everything we need to know about this life, about our origins, how to navigate life, what is the purpose of life. Guys, like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us how to use the bathroom. And I remember, you know, some of the disbelievers during the times of, of the companions used to make fun of him. So your prophet taught you everything on even how to use the toilet. And what did the companions say? Proudly he did. He told us to use our, that was the hadith, by the way, by the companions, to use our left hands. So basically, I'll explain. Back in the day, again, disbelievers used to make fun of of, uh, of of Muslims, right? Which is what we tackled in the last episode, that Islam is an odd thing to a lot of people. You know, but the Prophet ﷺ told us how to use the bathroom. And of course, that's not coming from the Prophet. It's coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not coming from the Prophet ﷺ. It's coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala basically commanded us through the Prophet ﷺ to what? Enter the bathroom with your left foot. And say, oh Allah, protect me from the evil jinn. Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-khubthi wal-khaba'ith. You can say it in English if you don't know how to say it in Arabic. Then when you use the bathroom, you do not mention the name of Allah in the bathroom. That's that's a rule. You do not mention because it's a filthy place that you're not you're not supposed to be mentioning Allah's name in the bathroom. And then, when you're done, let's say you use a bidet or whatever, and you basically want to dry yourself or you want to wipe yourself, you use your left hand. And I promise you this: this was an adjustment when I found out about this that we have to use our left hand, not our right hand, in terms of like drying ourselves or you know wiping ourselves or whatever you want to call it. It was an adjustment because I used my right hand a lot throughout my life. And now I have to use my left hand. It took a while, but alhamdulillah, now I only use my left hand. And it's just, again, we are creatures of habit. So if you get yourself used to using your left hand, if you're already using your right hand, it will take some time to adjust. But I promise you, inshallah, it will be, again, the default. It will be the norm. And the reason why we uh, were commanded to use our left hand because our right hand is what we call in Islam the honorable hand. That use it basically to shake hands of, of other people. That you also use it to eat. Uh, you know, we should eat and drink with our right hand, right? Because the shaitan eats and drinks with his left hand. And we have to, you know, disassociate ourselves and do things opposite from shaitan and opposite from certain people who follow shaitan. So yeah, that's, again, a little bit of information for you guys if you didn't know this. And again, Islam tells you how to live your life. And some people think it's too much. Just some people, like those people who are mocking the companions, but look at the companions' response. They were proud. They didn't hide, oh, like, oh, I know, I know it's a lot. I know. No. They responded, yes, proudly. And the Prophet ﷺ told us to use our left hand when we, like, they were proud. Do you know why? Because, uh, and for those who think Islam is putting a lot of rules on us, how would you use the bathroom if, you know, if you didn't know how to use it in Islam, you're just going to do... Again, you can do your own thing, no problem. Bec and you might think it's the correct thing to do, but it might be not. 
Islam tells you the correct thing. Islam is, like I said, Allah is giving you your guidance. Everything you need to know, you follow. You, you'll find it in Islam. Now, there are certain things that Islam is not. Like, for example, is wearing, uh, for men, is wearing a shirt and jeans. Is it okay? Yeah, it's okay. Islam is indifferent in certain things, which means they are permissible. As long as they do not, you know, go into the, 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 the forbidden kind of area. But yeah, using the bathroom is, Islam tells us how to use the bathroom. And the reason why is because otherwise we wouldn't know. And otherwise we might do things that are inappropriate in terms of like what to do and, you know, what to say before you use. Like, again, the bathroom is the hub of all the evil jinn in your house. And by the way, all of us have those types of jinn living, like shaitan, the, 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 the devil. They actually live in the filthiest place in your house hopefully the filthiest place is the bathroom hopefully and and if the, the because they gather and they sleep and they stay in the bathroom when you enter you say oh allah protect me from the evil jinn well if you don't want to follow islam and if you don't care guess what you'll be there and they're going to start to basically mess with your mind you're going to give you thoughts you're going to take your time in the bathroom and you're going to think about bad things and get ideas and because that's how they control you but when you do this allah protects you guess what islam tells us how what to act and what to do before we go to bed you want an angel to come by your uh, bed and makes dua for you until you wake up to pray fajr Recite the verse of Kursi. It's a, it's a verse in, in the chapter of Baqarah. The verse of Kursi. You just, one verse. And what happens is, shaitan who is around, your devil will fly away. Because that verse basically bothers them and, and actually it's painful to them. It harms them. And instead an angel will come and will make dua for you until you wake up. You want another trick? You want an angel to make let's say double dua for you when you're asleep make wudu before you go to bed sleep upon wudu now you can you will definitely or most likely lose it if you're asleep because you, you know for those of you who don't know you lose your wudu when you go to sleep you lose it once you go into deep sleep you're already done you lost your wudu and you have to redo it when you wake up but if you sleep upon wudu guess what an angel comes and makes dua for you for Allah to forgive you until you wake up. If you don't follow Islam, how are you going to get these rewards while you're asleep? How? Unless you, you don't want them? Good for you, mashallah. But if you want rewards because you don't know how your deeds will be like on the day of judgment if you want to gain as much as you know as you can from rewards you'll follow what islam tells you authentic of course sources like quran and sunnah it makes sense now islam also tells us and and and, and this is very profound tells us how to interact with god something that a lot of other religions don't fully respect talking about God because if you go so on social media or in movies or in TV shows, they make fun of God sometimes. They're bold with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're bold. They're disrespectful to the creator. And Allah lets them. Allah allows it, of course, because there will be a time 
Well, they will be punished severely. But what about Muslims? What about Islam? Islam tells you all boundaries. And again, I will talk about Allah inshallah in, in a lot of detail in the next episode. But for now, you need to know that Islam defines the relationship between us and Allah. We love Allah. We respect Allah in an unlimited way. We fear Allah. And by the way, fearing Allah is a healthy thing. Not fearing another human being. Fearing Allah pushes you to do the right thing. That's a healthy type of fear. The only, by the way, healthy type of fear is fearing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have hope in Allah because we know that He's the ultimate merciful. He's the ultimate forgiver. But we never, ever get bold with Allah, mock Allah, make fun of Allah. No. Muslims, red line that we cannot cross. And again, if you cross it, it's on you. You're going to have to deal with Allah on the day of judgment. And you might, by the way, find some ramifications in this life as well. Allah might punish you in this life and also in the hereafter. Muslims are respectful of Allah. We know our place. We know that we're humans. And Allah is the only creator. Allah is the only divine entity that exists in this life. No one can be compared to Allah. Like I said, you can never comprehend Allah because Allah is beyond our comprehension. You know, a lot of people celebrate Christmas. Uh, and I'm talking about even some Muslims. We, we mentioned this in the last episode. Allah says it's not befitting to Allah to have a son, nor a spouse. Because those things, they're needed by humans. Yes. Yeah, we need a son. We need a daughter. We need a spouse. We need parents to feel this whole um, idea or feeling on warmth of family. Allah is not a human being. Allah is not a human being. You know, when I watch like certain superhero movies or whatever, you know, some people say, uh, oh, uh, like for example, Superman is God among us. Superman is a God. Thor is a God. But then they show you that they basically get beaten. You know, they show you that, you know, Thor gets stabbed. Uh, Superman is weak against kryptonite. What kind of a god is that? <laughs> so the concept, and, and, and I again, I came up with, with this uh, conclusion on my own that according to people, I believe that God is just a strong entity. Someone who's strong, they call him a god. You know what I mean? Someone who's strong to them, like someone who's really powerful, un, you know, indestructible, that's God. He's godlike, what they, like, you know, some people say. I've noticed this, you know, godlike. Because they don't understand the concept of God. Because again, to them, God was someone like Jesus Christ, someone, God who, someone who could look like them, could look like a human being. We as Muslims, oh, we know better. We know better. God is, un you, can't, you can't compare God to anyone or you can't compare anyone to God, to Allah. We're disciplined when it comes to Allah. We're disciplined. You know, uh, I remember uh, uh, one of our listeners by the name of uh, Mupundo, 
so she Mupundo is is basically, and I hope I'm not butchering your name. I'm sorry if I am. Uh, she's uh, uh, from from Zambia, and she currently lives in Canada. And basically, she had uh, again, she's been curious about Islam, and she basically had questions about Islam. And one of the questions is. Uh, when you guys call, uh, you know, like Jesus is the son of God, you're saying that she's basically telling me you guys are saying that Jesus is not the son of God and you are against this idea. But the question is why the story of Jesus, of the birth of Jesus is emphasized and being basically portrayed as a very special story in the Quran, which is very true. Well, Here's the reason why, and, and she's also saying, why is Jesus being appointed as the, the Messiah if he's not the son of God? Well, first of all, the, the, I'll answer the second one. The, the Messiah or someone who's anointed is, is not necessarily God. So being a Messiah is, is basically someone who is anointed or someone who basically wipes uh, one of the things that when Jesus used to wipe on the, the, the blind, he used to cure them. And that's from the Mas'ah al-Masih. And also the person who is anointed. But being anointed by God, God calling you al-Masih does not mean that you are not a human. It doesn't contradict the fact that you are a human, by the way. So that's, that's a very simple answer. Let me answer the first question, which is why... The, the the story of the birth of Jesus is very special and profound if uh, Jesus is not, uh, you know, the son of God. Well, here's the thing, and we know this uh, as Muslims. Every prophet and messenger was sent by Allah. They were sent with a miracle. And why the miracle? To convince the people that they are coming, indeed coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They were sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So one of the miracles of Jesus is that he was born without a father. And he spoke, and I know this is something that Christians don't believe in, that he spoke in a cradle. He spoke while he was a baby to defend his mother's honor. Let me give you one better. Adam, Prophet Adam, peace be upon him. Guess what? Prophet Adam had no father, no mother. Is he also the son of God? That was a miracle. By the way, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fashioned Adam with his own hands. So Jesus was actually was born, you know, like a human mother gave birth to Jesus. Guess what? Adam had no birth process. He was not born. Adam was actually created. Isn't that more befitting that he, and I get it, statistically speaking, no, Jesus was born, so it gives the chance that God is the father, but God created someone with his hands, so maybe he's not the father he just created. But isn't it, logically speaking, I'm talking about logic here, doesn't it logically make more sense that Adam would be the son of God, the first human being? Why would Jesus be the son of God who is way far down the line in terms of prophets and messengers? Doesn't make sense. The idea does not, it just does not make sense. Guess what? Prophet Yusuf, Joseph, peace be upon him, was giving the, 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 the ability of foresight and interpreting dreams and seeing the future and things like that. Was he like super powered being? No, he was just a human being with a miracle. Moses with the staff hitting the Red Sea, the Red Sea split open. Also Moses with the staff that turned into a snake, a real snake, a miracle. Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, the splitting of the moon. 
Angel Jibreel came down and split the chest of the Prophet ﷺ open and took out his heart and purified it and put it back in. And the Prophet ﷺ was awake. He did not feel a single pinch of pain. What, what, what does that tell you? It's just another miracle. But of course, Christians interpreted that miracle, those who basically modified and tried to edit the Bible, the true Bible, that doesn't exist anymore, they basically took that miracle and be like, oh, now that shows that, well, here's a mother, no father, hence the father is God. Guess what? You know Eve? Eve was created from who? From Adam, right? We all know the story. Eve was created from one of Adam's ribs. That technically means that Eve technically had a father. She came from a male, right? She had no mother. Who was her mother? Right? That doesn't mean anything. It just means that it's a miracle. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing you his abilities in his creation. That's all. But unfortunately, a lot of people took that information, took that incident and be like, whoa, they twisted it. And they said, that means there must be. Because again, if you think about it, they're trying to make sense of the situation. Oh, Jesus had no father. Who could be the father? Oh, let's find a father. It must be God since there was no male uh, you know, uh, involved in the process of, you know, impregnating uh, Maryam, uh, uh, you know, the mother of, of Jesus, then that means God must be the one who impregnated her. A'udhu Billah. May Allah, Allah is above that. But again, we, because we're trying to make sense of certain things, so we come up with facts. And if you think about it, and I mentioned this, you know, at nauseum in, in, on, the, on the podcast, the Bible is, is filled with flaws in terms of the concept that Jesus is God. So I hope that, uh, you know, answers your question. And also, I, I know that uh, uh, you had another question regarding why did Allah uh, write Friday for the Muslims to be the, day of, the, the official day of worship when we go and attend Jumu'ah, attend the prayers, uh, while he made Saturday for uh, uh, Jews and on Sunday for Christians. So what's the story behind that? Well, the story behind that is very simple. That it, actually in the Quran, in the chapter of Nahl, verse number 124, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said Allah saying that Allah wrote Saturday upon the Jews. Allah wrote Saturday upon the Jews. Because they simply rejected, the Jews simply rejected Friday. The Jews simply rejected Friday. So Allah, and for those of you who don't know, Friday is the most beloved day in the sight of Allah. So the one day of the week that's most beloved in the sight of Allah, it is Friday. That's why Adam was created on a Friday. He died also on a Friday, by the way. Adam also died on a Friday. It is a blessed day. By the way, newsflash, a little bit of a tease. The Day of Judgment will take place on a Friday. The Day of Judgment will happen, will occur on a Friday. So anyway, 
So Friday is the special day in the sight of Allah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, okay, Friday shall be for the Jews to worship Allah. They said no. They reject. By the way, the Jews, the, the, the children of Israel at the time, they were well known to try to negotiate with Allah and Allah was patient with them because again, Allah is the ultimate patient. Because he didn't want to, because the, the other choice was just, just completely destroying them. And Allah chose not to destroy them because among them, there were a lot of believers as well. But anyway, so uh, uh, they rejected Friday and they said, we want Saturday. And the reason why they wanted Saturday is because they believed that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he uh, basically started the creation, he started from Sunday. And then he completed, uh, he, he for six days, basically he completed his creation on Friday. And Saturday, of course, they believe that Allah rested. Rested on Saturday, and basically he was not creating anything. So they said, if Allah, and again, Allah is above that, but that was their claim. If Allah basically took a break from the creation, there's no creation, then we will also take a break on Saturday and just worship Allah. That's basically the story behind them. So Allah offered, didn't offer them, wrote upon them Friday. They rejected. They told Moses, because that was the communication between them and Allah, Prophet Musa salam, Moses. They told Moses, no, 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 no. We don't want to do Friday. We want to do Saturday because Saturday, according to what they believe, that God did not create anything on Saturday. Hence, you know, we want to have Saturday as the day of worship. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was like, really? Is that what you think? Okay, I'll give you Saturday. So that means Saturday, you're not allowed to work. You're not allowed. That's why now you see like the Orthodox, they don't work. They Sometimes they don't drive. It's like the, basically an off day. Allah never took off, by the way. That's what they believed, you know. Um, uh, so they took basically an off day and to only worship Allah. They were not allowed to work. They were not allowed to hunt. They were not allowed to fish. And I'm going to get to the fishing story in a second because there's a very in interesting story in the Quran regarding a specific uh, village, uh, you know, that was inhabited by the children of Israel and this whole Saturday thing. But let me just continue uh, explaining that part. And the Christians, when they came, they, they said, well, we want, again, they were also offered Friday, but they, they said, subhanAllah, look at the difference between the nations. The Jews said, no. The Christians said, no, we want Sunday. Why? Because we want Sunday to be, because Allah started the creation on a Sunday and we want basically uh, the blessings of such a day. And uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that's why they have Sunday now as their kind of day of worship. And it's, it's stuck that way, even though we know that the religions were modified, but those things actually stayed. Some of the things that stayed were the Saturday, Sunday. And when the Muslims came, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Friday shall be the, your day of your special day of worship. We should worship Allah, of course, every single day. But the special day of worship, when we have to go to the masjid, we have to go attend Jumu'ah, you know, the khutbah of the Jumu'ah prayers. And the Muslims did not negotiate. Look at the attitude. The attitude of the Muslims. Yes, Allah, you want, you wrote. And by the way, also we were proud because this is the day that Allah created, finished the creation. Allah completed the creation on our Friday. That, that we believe in. We don't believe that Allah rested. That's bogus. Allah does not rest because Allah simply does not get tired. You know? But we believe that the creation, remember, we said what? The last of the creation was Adam. Remember the origin story? Here you go. The origin story now comes to play. Adam was the last of Allah's creation. When was Adam created? We said that Adam was created on a Friday. 
Allah completed the creation on a Friday, so we were proud that our day is Friday, even though it was given to us by Allah. We did not argue with Allah. But we were also happy that this is the day that Adam was created and the creation of the heavens and the earth was completed on a Friday. So that's basically why. There's no contradiction here. It's just Allah always wanted Friday, but Allah didn't want to basically punish them because they were, it was like the Quran is filled with stories of like the children of Israel trying to go back and forth with Allah. The whole chapter of Baqarah is all about that, by the way. The second chapter in the Quran, it's all about them going back and forth uh, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that is basically the story. There's nothing odd about it. This is, that's how it is. Allah wrote for every nation in terms of the Abrahamic religions a day. We are the ones who embraced the day that Allah gave us instead of negotiating or renegotiating with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Let me go to the story. I want to, I want to, it's, it's a little bit of a tangent, but I'm, I'm really, I really want to tell you the story of the people of the Saturday, uh, which basically those people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like I said, wrote Saturday upon those people. So what happened is they were not allowed to fish. And this village was by the water and their basically main kind of trades and, and everything was to fish. And when Saturday comes, now when Allah wrote that upon them, the Saturday that they are not allowed to work, they're not allowed to do any worldly stuff, just sit and worship Allah, Allah would test them. So how did, like I said, life is just a big test. Okay, how did Allah test them? By what? By sending more fish and bigger fish on a Saturday. And they saw that. And they started getting really annoyed. As a test. So they tried to be patient. They tried to be patient, but they couldn't be anymore. So what happened? They tried to be sneaky with Allah. Allah said in the Quran, some people try to be sneaky with Allah. They think they can, you know, play games on Allah. Allah knows what's in your heart, my dear brothers and sisters. How can you play games with Allah? You know, when you commit a sin, you can play games with people. But in within your heart, within yourself, you know that you can't fool Allah. You should be ashamed of yourself in front of Allah at least. You know? Allah knows what's in our hearts, what's in our intentions. So how can you play games with Allah? So this is what they did. They started putting nets Saturday morning or Friday night. Doing traps, you know, to trap the fish that comes only on Saturday. And what happens? They would collect the fish. They don't touch it on a Saturday. Go, Allah, look, we're not, we're not working. They think they're smart, right? And then comes Saturday night or Sunday morning. They collect. And they kept doing that thinking they're fooling Allah. Can you imagine how gullible and ridiculous they were? It's like they don't think that Allah knows what they're doing. It's subhanAllah beyond this world. But anyway, and by the way, this story is mentioned in the Quran. So, uh, and what happened is, and they would do other tricks. It was This was not, like they would have a very smart traps that basically when the fish enters a specific uh, section, they can't get back. It's like a, a, a kind of a, a barrier or like a, a barrier that basically is a one-way barrier. So imagine like when a fish goes in, but they can't swim back out. So they would do like these tricks. One of them would like put a hook in, in a fish and, and, and like they get hooked and then you don't, like some, some people would actually fish. But here's the th catch. They don't pull out the fish. 
they basically leave uh, um, uh, leave the hook in, in, in the fish until the next day, knowing that the fish can't go anywhere. So basically trapping the fish. They're being ridiculous and try to be very inventive, you know? Some of those people did not like what was going on and they said, Allah is going to punish us. Let's not do this. But of course, what happened? They ignored them because they were, they, again, they kept thinking, oh, Allah is not noticing what we're doing. So those people, and that's the right thing to do, my dear brothers and sisters. This story actually is very profound. Those people did what? Those people who were basically disagreed with what the majority were doing, they had their own section in the village. They lived alone and they built a wall between them and those who think that they're fooling Allah. So the righteous of them, those who did not agree on this, decided to have a own their own society. We should learn from that, by the way. Don't follow the trend. You see, it was easy to follow the trend. Oh, Allah's not acting upon this. So maybe he's not noticing. Let's do this. But these people knew better. And they built a wall. They, bar they built a barrier. They refused to follow the trend. For those of you who listened to the uh, last episode, to the previous episode. And then they were just afraid of Allah. So they just sat on their own. They Saturday would come. They would not do any tricks. And then, but by the way, one of the things is that Allah would take away the what led them to actually be desperate like that. The people who thought they can fool Allah, basically the evil of them, is that Allah would make the fish very big and, and, and a lot on Saturday. And come Sunday, Allah takes that fish away. Allah makes the fish swim away. So that frustrated them, you know. So now those people were like, you know what, Allah, we asked for Saturday. And we'll not, we shall not work, the righteous ones, of course. And they kept, they stood their ground. And one day, they heard nothing coming from the other side, the evil side of the village. So one of them climbed on the wall to see what's, what's going on. Because they really completely wanted to separate themselves from those people. And lo and behold, this is in the Quran, by the way. In the chapter of Baqarah, verse number 65, in specific, talking about this story. وَلَقَدْ عَلِمْتُمَ الَّذِينَ اعْتَدَوْ مِنْكُمْ فِي السَّبِتِ فَقُلْنَا لَهُمْ كُونُوا قِرَدَةً خَاسِئِينَ Those people, the, the righteous ones, when they climb the wall to see what's going on, the, the, the whole village is just quiet. They found that the entire village, now we're talking about the evil part of those who thought they were fooling Allah, were turned into monkeys. Literally, monkeys. This is in the Quran, by the way. That was Allah's punishment. They were turned into monkeys. And they actually, they were turned into monkeys and after a few days, they all died. So there was no like progeny coming out of them. They just died. For those of you who are going to start making, oh, so the origins of monkeys could be humans. No, 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 no. There is no progeny that came out of that group of people. They all died. The Prophet even confirmed that in a hadith. When Allah punishes a nation, an entire village, a group of people, Allah does not keep their progeny alive. So they die before they have further progeny, basically. So that is basically, and I know it's a tangent, but this was the story of the people of what we call the Saturday, Ahlus Sabiti or Ashabus Sabiti, that village. So I hope that, you know, answers your question. So now I want to, uh, you know, keep uh, going uh, and, you know, going back to the topic of like, okay, so now Islam tells us how 
we began the origins of our like existence. Islam tells us the purpose of life. Again, it makes perfect sense. It tells us what to do when we have calamities, when we have you know bad situations. Islam helps us through our lives to navigate life, you know, to cross that bridge safely to the hereafter. What else does Islam tell us? Now, go back to the, the island example. What is the last question you want to ask yourself after how can I survive uh, on this island? How will I leave? That is the final question. Which to, to most people when they land on this island, it is the final, but at the same time, it's the most important one. Islam tells us everything we need to know about the Day of Judgment. And I know many of you, most of you can't wait to hear all about it. And I promise you, it's coming very soon. But this is what Islam tells us. Every little detail. By the way, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions what's going to happen on the Day of Judgment in such a vivid detail for one simple reason. Because Allah wants to be like, here you go. I gave you everything you need to know about hellfire and paradise. So don't complain when you mess up. Allah wants us to fear hellfire and wants us to love going to paradise. And actually, relating to, to the idea of fearing hellfire, uh, I want to answer a question that came to be by Urban, one of our listeners. Urban has been going uh, you know, through uh, a rough life and that led him basically uh, to Islam. And he started researching Islam. And again, Urban, thank you so much for you know uh, reaching out and and sending your email. And basically, Urban is 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 very you know Islam makes sense to him, emotionally makes sense, and all these things. However, he is afraid of the unknown, which is technically he's afraid what will happen on the day of judgment. He's afraid that you know he will be sent to hellfire, and that's basically causing him you know anxiety and fear, and he doesn't want to feel that and again urban thank you so much for this and i'm going to tell you this and it's very simple speaking of hellfire islam is such a beautiful religion that it tells you how to avoid hellfire we, we, we we've been saying this the whole episode islam tells you how to easily easily avoid hellfire follow allah's commands learn about hellfire and that's what we're going to do inshallah in the future when we talk about the day of judgment However, Allah is telling you what you need to know to not go to hellfire. Also, Allah is giving you... Every, by the way, there is a beautiful hadith by the Prophet ﷺ when he, uh, before he died, he told the companions, look at this, he said what? There is nothing that would lead you to paradise that I didn't tell you to do. So anything that would lead you to paradise, to enter paradise, I told you to do. I commanded you with. And anything that would lead you to hellfire, I forbade you from doing. Of course, this is all coming from Allah through the Prophet ﷺ. This is not the Prophet's opinion or his own commands. His commands uh, according to what Allah commanded him to tell us or to command us with. That should give you peace, urban and Anybody else who's afraid of hellfire. It's a very peaceful statement. I told you everything you need to know to avoid hellfire and to enter paradise. And Urban, you're not the only one. I'm scared to death from entering hellfire. Everyone who's listening probably is scared of hellfire. 
Who wouldn't be? Nobody wants to end up in hellfire. But do not let that fear cripple you from doing what you need to do. Do you understand? Do not let that fear make you like freeze and be like, I'm just afraid. I don't know what to do. I can't move forward. No. Allah is all merciful. Allah is all merciful. Allah is the ultimate merciful. We were just saying that. Allah told us how to go to paradise and how to avoid hellfire. Like I said, and we've been repeating this. First of all, you have, the, the, the obvious thing is you have to become a Muslim. There is no, like I said, Islam is the only path to paradise and the only way to avoid hellfire. Also, once you become a Muslim, learn little by little how to practice Islam. Do your best. Allah is expecting you to do your best. Allah is not expecting you to be perfect. Allah knows that you're not perfect. Allah knows that I'm not perfect. Allah knows that we're not perfect. But what Allah is expecting from us is trying your best. And when you mess up, get back on your feet, ask Allah for repentance. Allah will be with you every step of the way if you ask for his help. You know, there are... Um, Five actions in Islam Or five types of actions in Islam So again, an action, any action you, you do in your life Islamically speaking, it could be categorized to one of the five uh, Following five that I'm about to tell you Number one, mandatory stuff Which is basically, there are mandatory actions that you have to perform Islamically speaking, to basically gain Allah's blessings and pleasure Praying five times a day uh, fasting Ramadan, uh, paying your zakah, uh, going to Hajj if you're capable. You know, uh, uh, there, there are a lot of actions for Muslim uh, sisters. You know, hijab, uh, dressing up modestly. Uh, again, there's a lot more. Right? There are actions that are met. You have to do certain things as a Muslim. Second category is forbidden. Things that you're not allowed to do. Such as lying, cursing. Now you can do them, but you will be sinful, right? Lying, cursing, drinking, alcohol. We have major stuff. So we have minor stuff. We have major stuff. Like being, uh, uh, being a, a, an oppressor to your parents, unjust to your parents. Treat them badly, right? That's actually a major sin. Uh, uh, drinking alcohol uh, Eating uh, pork Eating a dead animal That's why we talk about The biha The halal food And halal meat Versus what people say Well it's the regular meat Which is from the people of the book Yeah but Factories process uh, When they process the meat They might kill Most likely They kill the animal Before slaughtering So it's called A dead animal In Islam Muslims are not allowed To eat dead animals Animals that are, that, that, of course, we're not eating live animals. We just are not allowed to eat an animal that died before the slaughtering. It's 100% haram. You know, killing, murder. Uh, uh, again, a lot of things, drugs, uh, uh, adultery, of course, uh, backbiting. These things are forbidden upon us to do. We cannot do. So that is the second category. Now, the third category is likable actions. Actions that if you do, you will be rewarded But if you do not do, you're not sinful Like for example, making wudu before you go to bed Like I said 
reciting the, the, the verse of Kursi before you go to bed. You know, try to follow the sunnah of the Prophet You know, making istighfar every single day, every day. The Prophet used to do it 100 times a day. Again, there are extra stuff that you can do. The, praying the nawafil, the sunnah prayers. These are likable stuff that you will be rewarded for, but they're not mandatory. And dislikable things. Dislikable things. Things that are not sinful. If you do, but if you do not do, I mean, there, you don't get rewards either. But you should not do a lot of dislikable things because they usually lead to a sin. Like, you'll be amazed. One of the things that are dislikable is if you if you're praying in congregation and you uh, do not wait for the imam to say Allahu Akbar to perform the next action during. So, for example, if the imam is standing and then the imam is about to go to do rukua and you go before the imam, well, I've seen people doing that. Or you go at the right at the same time with the imam. You know you have to wait until the imam goes into rukua and says Allahu Akbar, then you follow. But a lot of people are you know, in a rush during the prayer So they go either at the exact same time or even before Praying fast is not recommend. It's not one of the very dislikable uh, actions Do you guys understand? Again, repeating that could be a problem Actually, there is, a, uh, there is a, a verdict by the majority of the scholars That do not do makruh during salat So makruh, you can do it outside of praying but if you do a makruh, makruh is dislikable actions. So if you do dislikable actions outside of praying, you're not sinful. However, if you do dislikable actions during the prayer, it, it becomes sinful. You should not. You should not do that. And the last category. Now we said four, right? Mandatory, forbidden, likable, dislikable, and the last type of action that a, mus- a human being can do, or a Muslim at least, is permissible. Things that you can do. It's permissible. There's nothing wrong with it. Like, like I said, for men to wear a shirt and jeans, as long as they're not really tight and they're not showing your aura or whatever, eh, it's okay. Wearing glasses. They're just like, these, these are things that are called permissible. Islam is indifferent about it because it does not affect the religion. You get it? So uh, avoid the forbidden stuff. Try to focus on the mandatory stuff and try to do some of the likable stuff. And inshallah, you shall enter paradise. That's what the Prophet ﷺ told us. So do not fear anything. Uh, I know Urban that is this is something that you're not alone in. But at the same time, uh, we Islam is 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 such a beautiful religion that it tells you exactly what to do to overcome that fear and have hope in Allah. Do not live with that fear. Let that fear guide you to do better things, but do not let it cripple you. Like I said, do not let it just freeze you from doing anything. That's actually the unhealthy type of fear. And we should not, we're not supposed to have that type of fear. We're supposed to have the fear that's positive fear. You're afraid that Allah would send you to hellfire, so you keep doing good things so you wouldn't go to hellfire. You know, so inshallah, it should be that simple. And I hope, again, that this gives you, uh, you know, a level of, of comfort, inshallah. And so like I said, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us everything we need to know about the hereafter. And that gives us some consolation. We know how this world is going to end. We know that if you do certain things, you will be punished on the day of judgment, then in the hereafter. But we also know the beauty of paradise. The beauty of paradise. Everyone will have three rivers. Every Each and everyone who would live in paradise and Jannah will own three rivers. And guess what? The mansions in paradise, 
they may be in the size of a country here or, or, or a little town, one mansion, by the way. So Islam tells you everything you need to know. How we began. What is proper. How to navigate through life. We're disciplined with Allah. We have respect. These like, oh, gender confusion. We know what Allah told us, who Allah created. And Allah does not play games with us. It gives us peace. It tells you how to be clean. How to wash yourself, how to you know wash yourself after you have intercourse with your spouse, how to wash yourself before Jummah, how to wash yourself after you use the bathroom. Islam tells you how to live a clean, pure life. And that's why I started by saying, do not look at Muslims because some Muslims don't live like that. That doesn't mean Islam is okay with it and Islam tells you to live like that. No. Islam is wallahi the perfect religion. It makes sense. It tells you why this life matters. Because guess what? Islam tells you, if, if you don't use this life to worship Allah to go to paradise, this life is not worth a wing of a mosquito. You know, the oppressors, the dictators, they thrive in this life, right? They thrive. They maybe have a lot of wealth. They die rich. They live rich and they die rich. And the Prophet told us a beautiful hadith. Let me translate. If this life is worth a wing of a mosquito on the side of Allah, if it did, and it doesn't, look at this. If it did, Allah would have not given a disbeliever, someone who disbelieved in him, a sip of water. They will be punished in this life. So why are they not punished in this life? Because Allah what is waiting until the hereafter. Because the hereafter is what matters. This life doesn't matter. And it only matters to the believer who uses it to get safely to the hereafter. Otherwise, life is temporary. You, me, everybody else who's listening right now will die. In a hundred, like I said before, in a hundred years from now, none of us will exist. We will cease to exist in a hundred years from now. Do you guys understand that? Life is not worth it. The only thing that makes life worth it to us is that we use it to get to paradise. If we don't use it to get to paradise, then you're wasting your time. And Islam tells you that. It gives you purpose. And it also consoles you when it comes to dictators and oppressors who are thriving. It tells you, don't, don't look at them now. Do not look at them now. And this is a very famous incident that happened when Umar ibn Khattab, you know, the, one of the most beloved companions, went to the Prophet ﷺ to wake him up. And then he saw the Prophet ﷺ getting up with the markings on his back from the bed because the Prophet ﷺ used to sleep on a bed that was so poor, was so rough that it was made out of the branches of palm trees. Can you imagine those sticks where you pull out the dates or you pick the dates out of those very rough branches? That was the bed sheet of the Prophet ﷺ. Imagine how difficult that was. And then the Prophet ﷺ gets up in front of Umar ibn Khattab. He was not wearing his shirt. Um, and then Umar ibn Khattab sees the back of the Prophet ﷺ with all the markings of those branches. He starts crying. So the Prophet ﷺ said, why are you crying? What happened? He said, O Prophet of Allah, Kisra, the king or the emperor of the Persians, 
He's living in palaces, sleeping, you know, on very comfortable beds, big and large bedrooms. And you, the prophet of Allah, the most beloved human being ever and will ever be created, sleeping on this bed. Guess what the Prophet said? He didn't say, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, let me ask Allah for a bigger and a more comfortable bed. What did he say? The very famous response that Wallahi keeps anybody going in, in the face of any type of injustice. Omar, the Prophet said, Omar, let them have this life and let us have the hereafter. Let them enjoy life. It's temporary. For how many years they're going to live, but then they will die. And the real life begins in the hereafter. The permanent one. Eternity in paradise, inshallah, for all the Muslims and all the believers. That's what the Prophet ﷺ cared about. Not this life. That's why he lived as a poor person. By the way, he was rich before he became a prophet. And then Allah, to test him, he lost all of his wealth. He was poor. He lived as a poor prophet, as a poor human being, and he died as poor when it comes to, financially speaking, but when it comes to the status in the sight of Allah, he was the richest human being ever created. That's what we care about, and that's what gives us purpose, the hereafter. That's what Islam tells us and teaches us. So I know that I, it took uh, a very long time. I know that uh, this episode has been long, but it's a very, again, we're answering a lot of critical questions. And I'm going to end with this. One of the best things that Islam described that a lot of people were struggling uh, out there with, destiny. We had, alhamdulillah, for those of you who didn't uh, listen to the episodes, and we had a whole series uh, in the last season regarding destiny, everything about destiny. Islam beautifully tells us about destiny. Everything bad happened to you was meant to happen. There was no way you could avoid it. And everything good happened to you was also meant to happen. You did not get, and this is mentioned in the Quran. In the chapter of Hadith, Allah SWT said what? مَا أَصَابَ مِن مُصِيبَةٍ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَلَا فِي أَنفُسِكُمْ إِلَّا فِي كِتَابٍ مِنْ قَبْلِ أَنْ نَبْرَأَهَا Allah is explicitly saying, any calamity that befalls you, rest assured that Allah has written this upon you. Yes, we have the freedom of choice. We choose our actions. But certain things that happen to us, the results of those actions, this is up to Allah. This is written upon you. You make your, that's why we, we affirm we have the freedom of choice. But the results, the results of those choices, you know, what hap the things that we cannot control that happen to us, this is all destiny. And even your choice is destiny, by the way. It's written because Allah knows the future. Allah saw the future. We, we explained this a lot in, in the last season, but it's also considered to be destiny. Yes, it's your choice, but Allah knows that you're going to make that choice. He did not make you commit or make that choice he knows that you're going to do it before but the things that happen to you so if a calamity happens to you you believe that it was your destiny and it gives you peace you know i had a lot of bad situations that happened to me again i'm a human being bad things happen and alhamdulillah allah has given me the strength to be like it was always meant to happen 
let me make dua to Allah to get out of that, for example, difficult situation. It teaches you happiness, the secret of happiness that a lot, a lot of people are looking for. The entire world is looking for the secret of happiness. Some people think it's in a relationship. Some people think it's in, it's in drinking and going to a happy hour. Some people think it's by being rich. Some people think it's by you know building a family. Some people think it's by having a high position. None of that is true. Because all of this is worldly and temporary happiness. It will go away if your situation changes. The true happiness is to understand Islam and understand that anything that happens to you was meant to happen and anything that didn't happen to you. Let's say that you wanted something so badly, but you didn't get it. It was never meant to be yours. This is in our religion. And it gives us confidence and it gives us the thing that everyone on earth is looking for. Happiness. And guess what? Believing in it gives you happiness in this life and a big perk and in the hereafter. Because you're a believer, you're believing in Allah's destiny, Allah's qadr, and that's why Allah shall reward you inshallah on the day of judgment. See? That's why Islam makes sense. Wallahi, nothing makes sense in the world except for Islam. Nothing. All the beliefs, all the weird trends, all the unbelievable you know ideologies none of that makes sense and yes islam has rituals some people might think well you guys do rituals in islam you know going around the kaaba yes allah has written rituals upon every nation by the way every nation has their own rituals you know when you think about one of the beautiful things is that when you think about a sin you don't get a sin until you commit it And if you repent from it Allah takes it away from your book Guess what When you think about a good deed Allah writes it as a good deed And if you actually commit the good deed Allah multiplies it by 10 You tell me What kind of a religion is that This is coming from Allah Because Allah is the only generous entity That will be generous to that extent Thinking about a good deed Allah will write it for you Actually going through with it, Allah will write as 10 good deeds. That's why every good deed you commit is actually multiplied by 10. So for those who are afraid of hellfire, don't be afraid. Just do your best to stay on a straight path. So I hope, again, that I shed some clarity on the perfect religion. Wallahi, I'm so proud of being a Muslim. And alhamdulillah that I was born as a Muslim And alhamdulillah for those of you who were born as a Muslim For those of you who converted to Islam This is a true blessing from Allah Islam is the only blessing that matters So be thankful to Allah my dear brothers and sisters For the blessing of Islam Whether you were born as a Muslim Whether you converted to Islam Whether you were a Muslim and then you went astray And then you came back to Islam this is a true blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And thank you so much for listening. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.